that may not seem like I'm talking about something that is so dependent upon the love of the Father. And I think it'll be because so many misconceptions, maybe false teachings that we've received about what I want to talk about. The Word of God in the Old Testament, when God was speaking in Leviticus and giving all these rules and regulations, God said, you know, you shall be holy. Speaking to the people, you shall be holy, just as I am holy. And Peter quotes him. He says the same thing. You shall be holy, because I am holy. We are called to be a holy people. And some of us, when we hear that, we almost start to cringe. Because the teachings we've heard, or the definitions we've heard, are painful. And I hope you'll see that many of them are probably totally unbiblical. What is the meaning of holiness? What is holiness? What is holy living? What does it look like? Are they the same thing? Are they different? The meaning of holiness has been debated. It's been argued about by many, many people. It's been twisted. It's been misunderstood. In some cases, it's been rejected altogether. And it still is being all of those things. Man and religion is so often diluted and distorted its true meaning by creating some man-made doctrine that does not exist in the Word of God. It's just not there. But they've done this, and it's been done, and the emphasis has been placed on a person's outward behavior, a person's outward appearance. You know, boy, they sure are holy. What are you saying when you say that? What do you mean when you say that? Have you ever met a person who said, boy, I'd like to be as holy in my life as they are? What does that mean? Are we looking at outward appearances? Are we looking at behaviors? If we are, we're looking at the wrong things. You know, depending on your religious brand, depending on where you grew up, if you did grow up churched, you may have some really crazy conceptions of what that means to be holy. You know, there's some of the uh, Pentecostal, conservative Pentecostal churches, and there's many other churches. But it turns into this list of do's and don'ts. If you want to be holy, man, if you're a man, if you're a guy and you want to be holy, you better not wear shorts. Most of us are already here in trouble. You better not wear jewelry. Guys, get rid of the jewelry. It's ungodly. Get rid of long hair. That's ungodly. Women, the list is even longer. You can't, you can't have short hair. You can't wear jewelry either. A lot of places you're not supposed to speak up because you're a woman. And if you're going to be holy and righteous, you certainly can't do that. Can't wear slacks. You're losing your holiness. You can't wear makeup. Have I missed anybody yet? Believe it or not, that's on some people's list. That's on some people's denominational doctrine about what causes us to be holy or not holy. And then, of course, they have a list of do's. When the church doors are open, you better be there. You better be reading your word diligently. You better be praying until you wear out the knees on your pants. Except for the ladies, you can't wear pants. You better tithe. 
the list of do's and the list of don'ts. Holiness is not a list of do's and it's not a list of don'ts. And because it's been talked about and treated that way in so many circles, we, we have almost this fear of even addressing the topic. Because of a lack of understanding, I believe we are missing tremendous blessings from God. We are missing out on tremendous joy of the Lord because we're believing something that's just not true. You know, this idea that holiness means, you know, do what's right and don't do what's wrong and you're good. You might make it to heaven. It's not, and I'm repeating myself already, it's not about outward appearance or behavior. Not that there's some significant value to certain outward appearances and behavior, but it's not about being declared holy. For many Christians, I hope not many of us here, there's such a negative connotation to it. But there's this, there's this tension, even in our own minds. We don't want to think about it much because, because of how we've defined it, we know we're not holy. And yet we know it must be good because God is holy and God is good. And then he tells us in the scripture, be holy because I am holy. In 1 Peter, the verse I referenced, and it's also in Leviticus chapter 11, but in 1 Peter 1, I'm going to read three verses. It says this, starting in verse 14, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Even reading that scripture, if we read it with our mindset thinking it's all about outward works and outward behaviors, we look at that and go, yeah, there it is. In all that you do. When you look at that, do not conform to evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who has called you is holy, so be holy. Keep yourselves from doing these things. Because you're holy, those things will not be a part of our lives. They won't make you holy just because you don't do certain things. We'll go back into the Old Testament and just look at a picture uh, from the Old Testament through the, the sacrifices in the temple. And it's in um, Exodus 29. And I'm just going to read one verse. But this section of Scripture is giving commands on how to properly do the temple sacrifices, all of the different things that they had to go through. And in verse 36, it, it says this. Sacrifice a bull each day as a sinner offering to make atonement. If you look at it in context, they're talking about a seven-day time period, purifying the priests and taking care of all that needs to be done. So it's saying, take a bull each day as a sin offering to make atonement. Purify the altar by making atonement for it and anoint it to consecrate it, or some translations say to make it holy. So there's two different things going on here that I think help me to understand holy, holiness and holy living from a New Testament perspective. First where it says purify the altar by making atonement. Atonement is through a blood sacrifice. You know, if you would take the proper animal 
and kill it and sacrifice it, take its blood and sprinkle it upon the altar, then the altar was considered clean. The sins were atoned for. It was purified. Therefore, what we had there is a holy altar. Tracking with me? The blood purified it, symbolic of sin being taken care of and covered up. It's holy. If we define holiness as being without sin, the altar is holy. But when you read the rest of the verse, it says, and then you shall anoint it, anoint it with oil, to consecrate it or to make it holy. Well, I thought it was already holy. The atonement, the blood, covered the sins. It purified it. It made it holy. But take some oil and anoint that altar and consecrate it to make it holy. There's, there's a couple at least, a couple of very clear, and these are the predominant definitions of holy in the Scripture. Holy, as we often think, primarily think probably, it means to be pure, without sin, the sin's taken care of. But the other one is this, holy means to set apart or to separate. To set apart or to separate. So in this Old Testament picture, the priest is taking a bull, he's sacrificing it on the altar, killing it, he's sprinkling the blood on the altar, symbolic according to the instructions of God, to purify that altar, to take care of the sins, to cover up the sins so it is a pure and holy altar. And then it says, take oil and anoint the altar. Take oil and anoint it to make it holy. Take oil and separate it. Set it apart. Give it a specific function. So there's dealing with the sin, and then there was a setting apart for a specific function. In this specific case, the function is to be an altar for animals to be sacrificed unto the Lord. Sin is dealt with, and now there's been a separation and a setting apart for a specific task. And I want us to keep that in mind as we look into the New Testament and we think of us as Christians who have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. There is a holiness. And then I believe there is a holy living that comes out of our being set apart. Remember in the, in the Bible, oftentimes oil is symbolic of what? The Holy Spirit. So let's go ahead and move on to some New Testament. I want to say this first, and then we'll reinforce it with Scripture. At the moment of your salvation, the moment that you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are 100% holy in the sense of sin being totally dealt with. We now have the righteousness of Christ, the holiness of Christ, When God looks at you and me, he's not looking for a whole bunch of do's and don'ts to see how you're doing. He looks at you and me and sees us stamped, ready for heaven. We are holy in his sight because of Christ. It's not a progressive thing, that type of holiness. We have it. It's given to us. You know, there is absolutely nothing we can do to become holy in our own strength. And you know what? That was by God's design. 
He wanted us to need it all to come from him because he wants to give it all to us. It's the only way it works. So saying that up front, you are 100% holy. You are pure and spotless in the eyes of God. You are holy. And that's what gives us the legal right to go to heaven and be in his very, very presence someday. We're going to look in Hebrews, and we're going to look at quite a few scripture. In this Hebrews chapter 10, and I'm not going to read, I'd like to read all first 18 verses, but I'm not going to do that. So write down Hebrews 10, 1 through 18, if you're taking notes. The heading in my Bible says, one sacrifice of Christ is sufficient. So this section of scripture, the writer of Hebrews is talking about, you know, sacrifice, offerings, they don't please me. Jesus came as that all-sufficient sacrifice. At the will of the Father, Jesus came, and he became the sacrifice for all sin, for all people. That puts us all on a level playing field. We are all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. None of us are better than another in the eyes of God. We are all sinners. And the penalty was the same for all of us. Whether you think you're a good person and you think they're a bad person, the penalty was the same. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus came as that sacrifice. The altar, if you would, is the cross. And he shed his blood for the atonement, for the forgiveness of sins, for all who believe. So at the moment of our salvation, we are holy and pure in regards to sin. In Hebrews 10, I'm going to just read a couple of the verses here and there as I, as I go through the first 18 verses. In verse 4 it says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And remember, the writer of Hebrews is writing to a group of people who have been doing this for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And he's saying it's impossible. They won't take away. Stop it. It's doing no good. It's not a pleasant thing for me anymore as God. I've moved past that. Moved on to my son. In Hebrews chapter 10, or verse 10, I should say. And by that will, what will? It says in the preceding verse, verse 9, Behold, I have come to do thy will. Whose will are we talking about? Jesus is saying, I have come to do thy will, Father. And then in verse 10 it says, And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. We were made holy, past tense. The moment we believed, Jesus provided the provision. All we do is receive it. And he says, you are holy. Forever. Because he's forever. Verse 14. He goes on and says, because of one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Now that doesn't mean it's a progressive being made holy. That means those who are believing are being made holy instantly in the area of sin. In Hebrews 10, 17 and 18, he adds these words. The sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Really, we need to quit trying to make up for those sins, to try and earn God's favor. We need to stop living in guilt and shame and condemnation because they've been forgiven. They're not, they're not on God's radar anymore. 
They're only on our radar, and the enemy will continue to use them against us as long as we leave them there. We need to understand we can't earn our holiness anyway. Quit trying. You'll wear yourself out. It's a gift from him. Lawless acts I remember no more, and where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any more sacrifice for sin. You might not think of your good works or your attempts at good works to be a sacrifice, but really, we're doing the same thing. We think if we do certain things right, just like they did certain things right in the temple, killed the animal the right way, had the right kind of animal, sprinkled the blood the right place, and did all that stuff, they were covered. When you and I are trying to earn our holiness, we're really doing works that are of no avail whatsoever. There's no longer a sacrifice for sin. Then I want to jump to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. It's kind of painful. He says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor will male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you, us, were. But you were washed. Read the next phrase. You were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. It doesn't matter what you were. If, it didn't, if you got missed in that list somewhere and yours is something different, it doesn't matter. You've been washed, completely washed. You've been made clean. You've been made pure. In God's sight, you're all of those things. You've been totally washed. It's like all that junk that we've been carrying for so long, and some of us are still carrying it. Not the specifics necessarily, but then there's that doggone guilt and shame and sense of being not good enough or worthless. We're still carrying it. He's washed it all away. Because all those things are sinful, and they've been dealt with at the cross. You were sanctified. You were sanctified. Notice the tense of each one of these past tense. It was all accomplished at the cross. And yet we strive and strive and strive, and so many of us do that, one, because it's a fallen nature, and two, because oftentimes we've been taught that our holiness is dependent on our behavior. I'm telling you that holiness in God's eyes is not dependent upon your behavior. And you were justified in the name of the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. Again, to the church of God in Corinth, Paul is writing, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. God has called us to be holy, and he's applied the blood of Jesus to us when we accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, and he has made us holy. Done deal. Together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. It's for everyone. Don't believe that voice or that lie that keeps rattling through your head that somehow or other it doesn't work for you. It might work for someone else. It works for anybody. It works for everybody who accepts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, 
who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. In him, because of him, it's his holiness, his righteousness, and it's all a gift from God. Holiness, as I said earlier, is not some legalistic thing. You know, there's a scripture in Isaiah 64, 6 that says, all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. That's true, but we're holy because of Christ, not our works. Holiness is not some sort of legalistic doctrine created by man to control man, to get them to do things, to earn their way to holiness in heaven. So if you believe that, you can't find it in the scriptures. It's a lie. And Satan is using that lie to keep a whole lot of us in bondage that Christ died to set us free from. Now, there's this thing called, I'm calling, and others refer to it as holy living. This aspect of us being set apart. Go back to this Exodus scripture I talked about. They shed the blood, sprinkled the blood, did all the things, and the altar was holy and pure. And then it says they consecrated it. They made it holy by anointing it with oil and setting it apart for a task to be the altar for sacrifices to be made on. We are holy instantly in the sense of our sin being dealt with and taken care of. It's done instantly 100%. Progressive living or holy living is a progressive thing. We are holy because of Christ. And it is because of the Holy Spirit that we will progressively begin to live a holy life. I hope you're understanding the difference between holy in God's sight and dealing with sin and being set apart. You and I as believers have been set apart. We've been set apart for specific tasks. Actually, there's probably more than one. But one of those tasks is we have been set apart to be different from the world so that the world will be drawn to Christ. And the Holy Spirit living in us will take us to that place, will bring us there. Holiness, holy living, here's an easy definition, the fruit of the Spirit. Holy living, when the fruit of the Spirit, and like so many things, and I said at the very beginning, you may not think this is about the love of the Lord. I believe holy living is dependent upon how much we love the Lord, how intimate we are with Christ. What will we do? Remember those times when you were so on fire, and I hope you all still are, so I'm just talking to me. You were so on fire. You were so in love. You couldn't get enough of the word. Your love for the Lord and appreciation for what he's done for you is just growing and growing and growing. And boy, it was pretty easy to live and do the right things. The Holy Spirit, you were, you were sensitive to it. You were aware of the Holy Spirit. You wanted to please the one that you loved, who loved you so much. And I believe that is one of the keys for us to live holy living. You have been set apart, I have been set apart to draw people to Christ, to draw people to Christ. You know, some scriptures or some, uh, some translations use the word, we're a peculiar people. I mean, that sounds really odd. But we're called to be different. 
we're going to look different. Strange in the world's eyes. Holy in God's eyes. We're set apart. In 1 Peter 2.12, it reinforces that very teaching. Live such good lives among the pagans, the unbelievers, that though they accuse you of doing wrong things, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. What does it mean that they may glorify God on the day that he visits us? The day he visits us is the day Jesus is coming back. Amen? How would you glorify God on the day he comes back? Be being part of his bride, being part of his church. So that scripture is saying that they may see your good works and it may have such an influence on them that they come and ask you, how is it? How can you? Why do you? And you share Christ with them. You demonstrate Christ to them to such a degree that they're drawn to Christ that they too will accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior and they will bring him glory when he returns. That's what it's saying. So our outward behavior has great value, but it doesn't make us holy. The holy living is progressive. I'm going to walk through uh, Colossians chapter 3, the first 17 verses, kind of in clusters. In your, my Bible, the heading there says, uh, um, putting on the new self, I think is what mine said. Putting on the new self. It's all about who the new creature is. You know, when we are born again, we are a new creation in Christ. We have put on Christ's, Christ's righteousness, his holiness. That's who we are. And we, sometimes we have to get practical and say, what's it look like to live a holy lifestyle? Colossians, starting in verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. You've been raised with Christ. There's the reason. Right away, it tells you, because you've been raised with Christ... Set your hearts. Since Christ has raised you and given you his resurrection life, set your hearts on the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. In other words, because you have this new resurrection of life, of Christ's life in you, set your mind and set your heart. Change your focus. Change your focus. No matter what's going on in this life on earth, we need to put our focus on him, and whatever we're looking at and living through here will change. The actual circumstance may not change. The actual things, the way it plays out may not change, but the impact that it has on you or me will change when our eyes are on Christ. Set your minds. Set your hearts. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Different translations write that a little bit differently, and some of them is better than others. But when it's saying they're now hidden in Christ, it's like your life now is covered by Christ. It's, it's Christ all around you. You've been born again, by the, and you've got the resurrection of life from Christ. That new life, gift from God, that's what he sees. That's what the Father sees when he looks at you and me. The life of Christ, the resurrection life of Christ. And he goes on and says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. All promises. Set your hearts and set your minds on things above. Keeping our hearts and our minds focused on things above is holy living. 
That's holy living. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, all of which are idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Don't give any power to worldly way of living. How is the best way to not do that? What are you thinking about? What are you focusing your thoughts on? It's amazing how as soon as you decide not to do something that the Holy Spirit's convicted you of is wrong and in a worldly sense, that's all you can think about. That's not God helping you. That's our flesh or that's the enemy. Do not give that old nature power by focusing on it. He's saying there will be a changed lifestyle. And notice in there, we do have a responsibility. But it's an amazing thing. The Holy Spirit will prompt us reveal these things to us, and then as soon as we make the decision, the grace of God and the Holy Spirit will enable us to do it. So don't beat ourselves up. Just get closer to the Holy Spirit. Get closer to the Lord. He will do these things. Changing our lifestyle is holy living. Verse 9. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Who's the new self? Christ. We have put on Christ, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of the Creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all in in all. We've put on this new life, continually, daily, renew our mind. How do we renew our mind? By the washing of the word of God, being in the word, being in prayer, discovering more and more about Christ. It's the life of Christ that we are wearing. The more we know about the life of Christ, the more we will love Christ and we'll be drawn to him and we'll submit to the promptings of the Holy Spirit so much more readily. And notice in there, we're all equal. When it talks about it, it's no longer Greek or Jew, etc., etc. It's saying there's, it's, it's, we're all equal. Humble ourselves. You're better than no one and worse than no one. Humble yourselves. Be in unity. It's all in Christ. This new life in Christ. Humility. Unity. They're all holy living. Verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Sounds like we're getting into the fruit of the Spirit. Since you already are God's people, you've been chosen, you are holy, and you are dearly loved. Notice how important identity is here. Identity. Who are we? We are his children. We have been chosen. We are holy. We are loved unconditionally. Identity plays an important part in us being able to live a holy lifestyle, holy living. Knowing who we are in Christ is holy living. 
The fruit of the Spirit is holy living. The love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, that's holy living. And it's all available to every one of us as new creatures in Christ. Verse 13, bear with each other. This one might be the hardest in the natural. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Bear one another. Forgive one another no matter what. And then tie it all together with love. Love is what holds the whole, it's like it binds the whole fruit of the Spirit package together. And the greatest of these is love. Knowing who we are in Christ, having this kind of relationship, the fruit of the Spirit is truly holy living as it manifests in us. Holding people up. Bearing one another. What does that mean? Bearing them. Holding them up. Helping them, taking on their, their burdens, you know, sacrificing of your time, your energy, your finances, whatever it is. Help bear their burdens, carry their burdens. good way is to share Christ with them if they don't know him. But bearing their burdens, holding them up. You know, there's some of us that are hanging on to unforgiveness. And we feel justified in doing it. Because those that you haven't forgiven really, really, really hurt you. What they did may have been a horrible, terrible thing. But it's going to eat you alive. That bitterness just rots. Destroys the, the health of the soul and the health of the body if we don't deal with it. It says, forgive whatever as Christ has forgiven you. If you need a motivation, there it is. As he has forgiven you. And love him unconditionally. What's holy living look like? That's what it looks like. Holding people up, forgiving people, loving them unconditionally. In the last three verses, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let God's peace rule in our lives, in our hearts. Be peacemakers. Be peacekeepers. Don't pick up offenses. Don't give offense. Keep the word of God in your heart. And then do it all unto the Lord. What does that phrase mean, do it all unto the Lord? It means, I think in my mind, here's what it means. It means God knows that in my flesh, I don't want to do that for somebody. So he says, when you look at them, see me and do it unto me. Whatever it is, do it as unto the Lord. I'm going to forgive as unto the Lord. I'm going to help them as if I'm helping the Lord. You know, when, you, when Jesus said, you know, hey, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I needed clothes, you clothed me. Do it as unto the Lord. Let the peace reign in our hearts. Doing everything unto the Lord. You want a simple definition of holy living? There it is. Do everything as unto the Lord. So we, have, we are made holy by the blood of Christ. 
It happens instantly. It happens suddenly. The moment we accept Christ, we are no longer going to be judged for those sins that we've committed. They've been forgiven. We need to quit beating ourselves up. Accept the forgiveness of God. The sacrifice of Christ. We are holy the moment we accept Christ. Don't buy into any legalistic doctrine of do's and don'ts. It's a lie from the pit of hell to keep us in bondage. Holy living, on the other hand, is a progressive thing. As we draw closer and closer to God, closer and closer to Christ, as our intimacy grows with him, the Holy Spirit's voice will be one we recognize quickly. And because there's this love relationship, because there's this intimacy with him, holy living will be a natural result of that love. Holy living. Who we are in Christ and how in love we are with the Lord helps us on that progression to holy living. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that what I've shared is from your heart. God, that we understand that we do not have to live to impress you or anyone else. God, that the moment we accepted the sacrifice of your son, the shedding of his blood, his death, burial, and resurrection, we were declared, we were declared holy by you. And that's who we are. I pray, God, that that truth would get settled into our heart, into our spirit, in such a way that it would affect the way that we think, the way that we act, that we are holy. We do not need to live with condemnation or guilt or shame. Father, I pray that we would find ourselves more and more in love with you every day as we realize in better and greater ways who you are and what you've done for us as we realize how much you love us that we would love you and that our lifestyles would be examples of holy living that it would be an example to the world around us that they would see that we are different that we are a strange peculiar people in the world's eyes and that it would draw them to us and ultimately to you, that they too may be part of the bride that you come back to receive when you return. Father, again, I ask that you would watch over us, bless us, keep us safe, protect us. We ask that you would give us those divine appointments, give us words to speak, let your love flow through us. And again, I pray for our youth team and the chaperones, Pastor Casey, as they're all returning home this afternoon. We pray that they would arrive safely. I pray, God, that it's been a a great couple days of spending time in your presence and developing relationships with other like-minded young people. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.